All right, welcome back to the next episode of the Faith and the Outdoors podcast with Sean McVeigh, and I have a very special guest, Father Nick Marsh from uh, St. Jude Parish here in Cedar Rapids. So this is actually where I go to church, and so this is my spiritual father sitting here. So thank you for uh, being here, Father. And um, I wanted to um, actually get us ask you to get us started with prayer before we really get into any more uh, deep introductions or the topic for today. Sure, sure, I'd be happy to. Thank you. Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we turn to you today and give you thanks for the blessing of this day and of each day of our lives. You unfold this day as a gift to us and ask us to respond to that gift of grace by opening our hearts and love to you and to our neighbor, to love you with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. Help us to Fulfill these great commandments, help us to discover you and your presence everywhere we can, and uh, help us to be faithful to you in all the ways that you call us to be. We ask this prayer, and we ask the intercession of all of your angels and saints, but above all, we make this prayer in the name of your Son, Jesus, who is Lord forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Amen. Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. And sure. um, I just mentioned, too, I mean, this, this podcast really is building on the theme that has been going on of community and the church mm-hmm. and our need for the church. And in Jesus's church, he has a hierarchy you know, he gave the keys to Peter and the apostles. They, their successors we call bishops. And then the priests, which is what father Nick is. Um, they help with the, the sacraments and the preaching of the word and all that type of ministry. They help the bishops fulfill that. And so, um, and then we have deacons underneath of the priests. So there is this structure and hierarchy. I'm a simple layman. So whenever I have the opportunity to be around an ordained clergy, I definitely defer to them in prayer. And I think that's a good practice for all of us to keep in mind too, is like there is a hierarchy. We all have a place. So thank you for leading us, Father, in that. Um, Father, thank you again for agreeing to be part of this podcast today. I really appreciate it. Um, I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about uh, what it's been like for you to be a priest or whatever you want to share. And then I just want to let the the listeners or watcher viewers know that I have a specific topic I'd like us to get into eventually, which would be this whole topic of confession of sins to a priest. Because mm-hmm. I get that question very often. You're here today, so I think it'd be a great opportunity for us to address that. So, But Father, just tell us a little bit about... like. Your journey as a priest, how maybe how long you've been a priest, and um, how long you've been at St. Jude Parish in, in Cedar Rapids. Where were you before that? Tell us a little bit. Sure, yeah. No, great questions. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, It's great, great to do this. Happy to be a part of it. Um, so I've been a priest for 19 years. I was ordained in 2004 at the uh, Cathedral of St. Raphael in Dubuque for the Archdiocese of Dubuque. So I'm a diocesan priest, not a religious order, for example. Um, I came from Cedar Rapids, so it's it's kind of amazing to be back here in my hometown. Um, I never thought I would be assigned as a pastor in my hometown, <laughs> right? Because you kind of come back to the places where you grew up and went to school and things like that, and and uh, you exercise a, a new role of leadership and, and service and ministry, but mm-hmm. uh, it's it's gone well so far. Yeah. So I, I just got to St. Jude's, as you know, um, a little over a year ago in July of uh, 2022. Yeah. So, Yeah. It's and that's right good. around the time we joined the parish. So you and yeah. I, we, we were arriving at the same time. Yeah. And it's like the Holy Spirit's moving. We're, <laughs> we're going to do some big things. So you got to come visit us at St. Jude. That's uh, right. So yep. Continue, though. 
No, so yeah, um, this is my seventh assignment, actually. I've, okay. I've moved around um, several different times in my ministry, um, partly because the needs of the archdiocese required it, or the archbishop had a, um, a parish or a ministry he needed to fill. Um, also because at times I was interested in trying something new and um, wanted to try, for example, teaching in the college setting or um, doing campus ministry or vocation work, that kind of thing. So I've, I've been in parishes, I've been at colleges and universities, and um, it's been a really interesting and, a, and a, a very varied kind of life in ministry for me. Okay, cool. Do you have anything like that has stood out to you as maybe your favorite part of being a priest? Just Let's talk generally. Like, Is there an area that you really enjoy above and beyond? Is there anything that stands out for you? Yeah, it's it's funny how hard of a question that is to, yeah. to really answer. Um, it probably sounds like a softball, but you know, I think my answer to that changes from time to yeah. time and depending on on where I'm at. Yeah. Um, I think right now two things come to mind. So I don't know if I can yeah. I can tell you one, but you know, one is preaching. You know, the mm. the challenge and the joy and the the privilege and the gift of preaching every day actually. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I have mass every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on the the weekend, the Sunday masses too, yeah. and then to the school community and just the mm. different opportunities, the care centers that I have to share the word of God with people. Yeah. It is, um, it's constantly, um, renewing mm. and challenging me. Um, I notice like the days when I'm the weekends, when I'm not in the parish, you know, we have a few weekends where we can be away. Mm. And if I don't have a Sunday homily for the people, like there's something that's kind of not there in my life. Mm. And so I can tell when it's there, yeah. uh, it really fills me up to do that. I think the other thing that I find to be a total gift and, and just a real blessing is just to be a part of a Catholic school community mm. and to be with our school students during the day or with our religious education program in the evening yeah. or our youth ministry groups, you know, that kind of thing. That yeah. is such a, a wonderful thing to to. Yeah. be and to be a part of and yeah. to do as a priest. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you um, sharing that. And I want everyone who's watching and listening to know, like, here we are two men who are Catholic and love Jesus with our whole being. Mm-hmm. And everything Father just mentioned is because of his passion for the Lord. And the, his greatest joy is sharing that word. Yeah. And um, I just want people to realize that because, you know, not everybody knows that about Catholics. We love the Lord Jesus. Yeah. And here's a person who has devoted his entire life and being to the service of Jesus Christ. So thank you for sharing that. And um, it's it's very powerful. And, and I think we, as lay people, should look at you and what you just said and realize, like, you know what? The joy, the greatest joy that he just told us about is sharing the word of God. And mm-hmm. we as Catholics need to do more of that. And if you're a Catholic listening or watching and you don't have joy in your faith, it is because you're not sharing the word of God enough. And you even mentioned there's a hole you notice when you don't have the opportunity to share yeah, that word right. with your with your family, your parish mm-hmm. family. So um, anyhow, I want to just mention that because as a lifelong Catholic myself, I did not have joy in my faith until I really started to share my faith. That's when I experienced that living joy. So, Father, thank you so much for sharing that. And, um, you know, those of you who are watching, you you know, he looks so young. You're probably thinking, how 19 years. You look like you're 25 years old, Father. Um, but, yeah, so um, thank you for, for your life of ministry. And he has a lot of experience, folks. So if you're in the area of Cedar Rapids, you got to stop in and chat with Father Nick. And um, we're going to talk about confession today. 
And I think that there's a lot of people who are afraid of that idea and that's why they're opposed to it or whatever the case may be. But I want every, if you're watching right now, I want you to realize this is the person I go to confession to about once a month. So mm-hmm. I used to go weekly, but I found that I started to get scrupulous and I was like, it was like I was searching for something to confess. I know, I know scripture says even the righteous person falls seven times a day or yeah. sin seven times a day. So yeah. I know that, yeah, I'm imperfect in their stuff, but there's really things that we focus on and we're trying to grow and change. And that's what confession, part of it, what it's there for. And as far as the things that I was aware of and trying to grow and change, I felt like I was nitpicking if I went too mm-hmm. often. So anyhow, so yeah, it's great. And, and you know what, folks, look at this. He's, he doesn't hate me because of my sins. You know, like <laughs> I go to him a month on a monthly basis. Right. He's not afraid of me. I'm not afraid of him. In fact, the closer you become friends with your pastor, um, the more you recognize the, the love of Jesus in this repentance. Because, I hey, I can go imagine Jesus in my bedroom and confess all my sins, but it's not until you actually say it out loud to another person that it becomes real. Mm-hmm. And then when you mm-hmm. experience another person who cares about you and wants to see you grow— Despite your failings and your sins, um, it changes the whole dynamic and it helps you grow more as a person. I'm speaking from personal experience. So, yeah. so, um, so Father, yeah, and, and you even, as a priest, you go to confession as well. So yeah. you can speak from both sides of the spectrum. Father, um, it is someone who hears confessions. Now, explain to our listeners what the seal of confession is, first of all. Sure. So what we mean by the seal of the confessional is that the um, the content of, of people's confessions or the, what, what somebody says to the priest in, in confession is protected by an inviolate seal. It's the most absolute form of secrecy that I've ever heard of. Yeah. And there are saints in the church who have literally gone to their death to yeah. preserve that and not to reveal the contents of someone's right. confessions. So, not even in the court of law. Can, right. You cannot hear... Folks... The priest yeah. cannot even reveal something said in confession in the court of law. So mm-hmm. if someone was to confess a murder to father, right. really what you would probably do is an urge that person to co- repent publicly in a sense of you know, like make your, you know, return yourself in. Turn yourself in. But but he right. himself is not mm-hmm. able to speak on that. So um, if anyone was ever afraid of, someone else finding out what you tell a priest, it's not going to happen because a priest yeah. is, is bound by that. But Father, let's. Uh, there's a lot of listeners out there who might even be shaking their heads right now saying, you know what, you, you tell your sins to God alone, you don't tell a priest. And I actually did a lot of searching for Scripture passage that, that say, tell your sins to God alone, and I was not able to find any. Mm-hmm. Um now there are there are passages that talk about confess your sins, but it doesn't say what format to use. It doesn't say confess your sins to God alone, but there are passages that, that give us a format. I mean, um, I want to get into the Old Testament here in a minute, but even in the New Testament, we see in the book of James 5:16, it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for another one another for healing. So those who are listening. The words there say, confess your sins. It's not a situation where you go, oh, I've sinned, I'm sorry. But you actually have to confess the sin. Like if, if I broke my neighbor's window out because I was mad at my neighbor, I have to go and say, I destroyed my neighbor's window. It's my fault. I have sinned. I have to say that, the actual thing that I've done. And so 
that's part of it. But Father, share with us too, after the resurrection, what Jesus said to his trained apostles. What was that? Um, it's in John 20. For those who want to look this up, it's in, it's in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 22 and 23, I believe. But, That's right. Father, mm-hmm. tell us what took place in that passage real quick. Well, the most important thing is that he says, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? So he's yeah. giving them the very gift of God, mm. the Spirit of God. Um, because what he says next is that they are to go and to forgive the sins of others. And if they mm. forgive them, they will be forgiven. And if they hold them bound, they they will be held bound. Yes. Okay. What you what you forgive on earth will be forgiven in heaven. Yep. What you hold uh, fast on earth shall be held fast in heaven. And obviously, they had to hear it first to know if they should hold hold it bound yeah, or retain it or forgive like, it. Yeah. What should I do? Yeah. There's a discernment so, there. So it's like, how do I know what to do until somebody tells me right. what's going on here? And, what and give us an example. Why would an apostle? Why would a priest maybe withhold? Not now. I will say too, hmm. priests are very merciful as God is merciful, and so it's very rare that someone, a priest would retain a sin, but give us an example of a situation that might require you to, at, at least at first, at first um, encounter with somebody that you would maybe retain it at that time. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's a great question. And I want to affirm what you said is correct. It is extraordinarily rare. Yeah. I mean, the point here and the assumption when someone comes in to go to confession is that this person's sorry for their sins, yeah. you know, and they want to stop sinning. They want to not do these things mm-hmm. ever again. But there you go. I mean, so if somebody were to say to me, um, I did this, this, and this, I'm not sorry about it, and I'm going to do it again. Yeah. First of all, I would wonder, like, why are you even here? Like, right. What kind, are you sure this is the conversation? Right. Or maybe should we step out into my office and just talk about this on another level? Right. Is this like a, like a counseling, or right. are you asking me for advice, right. or what? Um, but I, I think that would be a situation where... Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say like, well, that's it, you know, no absolution for you. Get out of here. It would be, I I would want to, I would want to make sure, you know, did I hear you right? Yeah. You know, tell tell me a little bit more what you're saying or like, why aren't you sorry about that? Or do you understand what you're saying, you know, Mm -hmm. or like how that's affecting other people or how it affects you spiritually? Right. So I I would try to get at what's going on underneath Mm -hmm. that before I were to eventually say, again, in the most extraordinarily rare circumstance, right? right? Um, maybe what we should do right now is pray together. Yeah. Let me pray over you. Let yeah. me bless you. Yeah. Let's talk about this again. Yeah. Come back and see me, or I'll call you next week or yeah. whatever, and we'll kind of go from there. And, and folks, what you probably picked up on what Father was sharing is the person re- was confessing but not repenting. Repenting is turning right. away from sin. They said, this is my sin, and I'm going to do it again. So that's why, as, as you could hear what Father was saying, it was a situation of non-repentance. And so that would be a reason for retaining the sin that was confessed is that, okay, he's, he's as he talked about with prayer and other guidance, he needs to lead the person to repentance. And I think another example would be if someone is like a parent is forcing the child against the child's will Mm -hmm. to go to confession. Obviously there are extenuating circumstances that are causing the person to be there. They're not there to repent of sin. They're actually there because they're being forced to do it for, with other circumstances. So then in that case, in that situation, you'd probably be working with the kids saying, all right, let's get you to a place where you want to be here, you know? And so let's, let's talk about that. So, so anyhow, um, now I did want, so for those of you who may still have a difficulty with this, I want to talk about the, the detail that God is the one 
who established this format for dealing with sin. So in order to do that, we need to look back in the Old Testament time period. So as we know, God saved the people from, of Israel from Egypt, and he brought them to be his own people and really to be an example to the world. And when he did that, he established a priesthood right away. Now, Father, tell us what exactly took place, because there was an initial plan of priesthood that it ended up being something different because of the, the people and their basically their sin. Golden but, calf, yeah. yeah. So yeah. tell us a little bit about the priesthood in that whole scenario and how God brought about a priesthood. Yeah. Yeah, you just hinted at like there was kind of a turning point, right? Yep. Things change. It's like before the, the first priestly figure, the first person in the Bible called a priest is Melchizedek. Mm -hmm. And he's this very mysterious figure. He doesn't, doesn't come from somewhere, you know, he's kind of just appears kind of on the scene basically. But he is someone who like um, all these other, other patriarchal figures before that, um, before the golden calf um, is able to and and charged with by God the 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 duty and the ability to build altars and mm -hmm. offer sacrifice and all of these kinds of things and really be in relationship with God both for their own good and also for the people that are really mm -hmm. under their care. Yeah. Right. So it's really um, after the Exodus that the the people fall so deeply into sin and just basically go right back mm. to Egypt, sort of spiritually, like right back mm. into that slavery idolatry, of, yeah, of idolatry, like constructing an idol in the image of an Egyptian God, essentially yeah. this golden yeah. calf. And so there is this, there is this kind of like uh, plan B or like a, and there's, there's a response to it and it's, mm -hmm. it's a merciful response mm -hmm. because that's who God is. Yeah. But there is a kind of, of change in the way that, um, that sin is dealt with. Yeah. And so God does give the opportunity through the tribe of Levi for people to come to even confess their sins, right? right? And for the priests of the tribe of, of Levi to make offering, um, right? You know, make offer sacrifices. Exactly. So, and you go if you guys want to go back and read, um, you know, the book of Exodus where all that takes place. Please do that, and you'll see. You know, God's plan was for I believe it was the firstborn son to be a, of every of every family was mm -hmm. to be a priest, but because of their sin, it could no longer be that way. And because of the tribe of Levi chose to follow the Lord, I think right. was essentially the case. Um, they were given the priesthood, but so, but either way, God had a plan for a priesthood and the priesthood would offer sacrifice to God on behalf of the people mm -hmm. and in atonement for sin. So a lot of people mm -hmm. skip over the book of Leviticus, which is a book of law essentially for the priesthood, the Levites. And so if you go back and read some of that, just look for the words, you know, that they offered this for the sins of the people. Constantly you, you read about mm -hmm. they were to take like and sacrifice a bull or a lamb for the sins of the people. And even in our culture now, we have a saying called a scapegoat. You know, somebody you, you hang the whole problem on that person and you send them away. Mm -hmm. That actually comes from the book of Leviticus. Mm -hmm. So the people would bring the, this goat to the priest the priest would actually say the sins of the people on the goat, which he knew from the people telling them their sins in, in all these different types of sacrifices. Mm -hmm. And they would announce the sin on the goat and then send it out into the wilderness. And, and it was essentially that goat was, or the sheep was carrying the sins away and right. the scapegoat. So, but the point is, it was the priest that God had appointed to be this mediator of the sinful actions of the people and, and dealing with it. 
So anyhow, we see this throughout the Old Testament. The priests were the ones that people had to go to to bring their sins to. This was God's design. And then the priest offered atonement sacrifices for the people. So now this set the stage for the New Testament priesthood. And we bring our sins to the priest. And the priest, in a sense, they actually pray and sacrifice for us. You know, that's that's something that it, they're, they're not walking around telling you that, but they're doing that. I mean, I'm sure there's there's people that he's heard confession for and has gone home and has offered prayer and sacrifice yeah. for that person, yeah. for their conversion out of love. And that is one of the things God calls us to do, you know, as far as praying for others. And I did want to bring up this one example um, in the mm-hmm. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, verse 4. Jesus cures a person of leprosy. And... He says, go and make the offering to the priest. And what we see is Jesus is upholding the priesthood that he essentially established in the Old Testament. So although Jesus gave a a healing to this person, they still had to observe the law. And remember, Jesus did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And so that person had to go and do that. And it is continued. So those who are watching and listening and thinking, I don't need to go to confession to a priest. I can tell God my sins alone. Well, my friends, I'm just here to tell you that that's not the design of God for dealing with sin. And in fact, I used to do that. Mm-hmm. I, although I was raised Catholic, I, when I got to my young adulthood, it was much more convenient to not have to go to confession. <laughs> sure. And especially because of the sins that I had committed. And I didn't want to have to admit them out loud. And um, that's what we do. Just like Adam and Eve, we want to hide that sin. We want to hide it from anybody and everybody because we just want it to go away. And that's not actually how God wants us to deal with sin. And it was the Holy Spirit who essentially convicted me. It happened. I was I became a sponsor in RCIA in college. Oh, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and the priest teaching RCIA said every Catholic needs to go to confession at least once a year before Easter. Mm-hmm. And I immediately said, no, no, God loves me. God forgives me. Uh, God doesn't require that. And I had an experience of the Holy Spirit. I didn't realize it was the Holy Spirit, but it it was bothering my mind for days. Mm -hmm. I had no peace within me because of how much this bothered me. And that was the Holy Spirit's way of trying to say, you need to deal with this. Oh, yeah. You know, and 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 I knew the only way I was going to be restored to peace, I have peace again, was to actually go to confession. Folks, I went to confession, and I received the Holy Spirit. I felt like I floated out of the chair. I'm here to tell you from personal experience, God did not do anything like that for me when I confessed my sins in the quiet of my bedroom 500 times before going to confession to a priest. (laughs) It was the grace Mm -hmm. that God grants through the sacrament of penance, which we call confession, that restored me, spiritually restored me, and renewed me in my relationship. And when Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit, who sins you forgive are forgiven, who sins you retain, that is actually what happens in the sacrament. When you go and confess your sins to a priest, that Holy Spirit is breathed back into you. My friends who are listening, who does not want you to have this form of freedom? Who? It is the devil. It is the devil who does not want us to confess our sins in this sacrament because then he can hold, he can have a hold on us still. And anybody who thinks, especially if you're Catholic, who thinks, I don't need to go to confession, I am here to tell you from firsthand experience, in addition to all the scripture we reference to, 
God's plan is for us to confess our sins to a priest, and God restores us in our relationship with him through this sacrament. So um, anyway, Father, thank you for letting us uh, talk about that. Um, Is there anything else that you have thought of that would be good to add to this kind of topic that we've been discussing? You know, sure. I mean, what comes to mind is basically the idea that, um, you know, you, of course, can and should to speak to God directly. Amen, I mean, yeah. your, your relationship with God is not in every respect mediated through right. an individual Catholic priest. So I don't want people out there to, to think that that's what we think Great point. You know, about that. And so it's, it's not as though uh, any priest takes the place of God, but is the idea is that the, that the Lord uses as instruments, mm-hmm. the priest that he has sent out, just yeah. like he sent out his apostles. And yeah. it fits into that, that whole context of Jesus constantly empowering his disciples and apostles, constantly giving them the same ability to do the things that he was doing and sending them out. Yeah. You know, go out, go out ahead of me. I'm going to follow yeah. you, you yeah. know, go to the towns I'm going to go to. And then I'll, then I'll go after you've gone and visited and come back or at the end, go out into the whole world, yeah. announce the gospel to all, teach them to observe all I've commanded you, baptize them in the name of the mm-hmm. father, son, and Holy spirit. And so, um, you know, for anyone that might have concerns or, or, you know, problems with the idea of a kind of a mediation of the priesthood, mm-hmm. um, St. Paul didn't have any issues with that. He talks about having a ministry of reconciliation, right? Yeah. But Jesus clearly loves to give away mm. the the power that he has received himself from the Father right. and the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, it's just a, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and thank you for sharing that. That was a great point. And another thing that it brought to my mind is the communal aspect, which is something we've, I've kind of focused on yeah. in these early, that it's not just you and God. God calls us to community, and in fact, the per, the priest represents the community. It's a restoration, even with the community, when we when we confess our sins to the priest, we're restored with God and with our relationship with the community. And those who are hiding alone with their sins are separated from community. Mm-hmm. That's what Adam and Eve went and hid alone in the garden, and that's what sin does. It causes us to retract away from others, and isolate ourselves. God heals us and heals our communal dimension through the sacrament. And so, Mm -hmm. again, I am here to tell you from personal experience, I have been spiritually and emotionally healed of wounds caused by sin that I didn't even know were there until I felt God's presence healing me through that. So there's that whole communal dimension too. That's one of the reasons why God, God calls us to it. Certainly God could heal us and do all that on our, you know, quietly on our own, but God calls us to community and that's why he wants us to work yeah. with his format and his community that he established. So anyhow, great, um, great stuff, Father. Any last Thanks. comments on that? No, that's okay. great. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you again. I'm really excited to have you here f- to discuss that. Folks, if there's any questions, concerns, problems, mm-hmm. feel free to email me. Um, again, I don't like to deal with that type of stuff in comments it's not really con- conducive for conversion. That's what this is all about, is we want to grow closer to the Lord. And you know, going back and forth in, in that kind of thing is not really helpful. So email me through any of the websites, catholicguestspeaker.com, seansoutdooradventures.com, newcatholicevangelization.org, any of those. Um, you could also 
contact St. Jude and talk to Father directly, um, especially sure. if you are in the Cedar Rapids area, maybe make an appointment to come and talk to Father. Um, that's what his ministry is all about, is bringing people to Jesus, restoring them in their relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, um, we talked a little bit about this, and I want to transition now into our outdoors segment of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, you are someone who loves the outdoors, I and I wanted you to maybe share a little bit with us, not just about that, but even a recent trip you took to Yellowstone with some of your brother priests. And um, just to hear about like that, what brought you to do that? Why did you choose that? Why not go to a city? So uh, share with us some of your, your interest in the outdoors and your, you know, your path and, and where it takes you in, in, with the outdoors. Yeah, it's awesome. Happy to. I, I was thinking about this and I realized that um, my parents really instilled a love of the outdoors in me and my siblings, um, the oldest of four. They instilled this love of the outdoors by taking us on annual camping trips as a mm. family. That was our vacation. Yeah. You know, so we, we didn't go to Disneyland and things like that. We went to um, uh, state parks in usually Michigan, mm where they were both from, or uh, maybe Minnesota or Wisconsin or something like that. So the kind of the upper Midwest. And we would, it was nothing fancy. We had a pop-up trailer, so we would do, so we would swim a lot during the day, go for hikes, uh, sit out by the campfire at night. Um, it was just a great experience of, of them showing us that this is one of the ways in life that you can really be a family, be together. Um, it was a place where we would pray together in different ways. And it was also just kind of a way to encounter the, the beauty of God's creation. Yeah. Even if as a kid, I might not have been thinking of it that way. Um, I, that's definitely what was happening. Yeah. So, um, you know, as I got older, I found other ways to enjoy um, the outdoors, whether it's just by jogging or golfing or things like that, or uh, spending time with friends. But um, over the last couple of years, I've been really lucky to have made a couple of trips out to Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. And the reason I went there was with a friend of mine who is another priest of the diocese who made his sabbatical there a few years ago. So every so often, priests are encouraged to take a, a month or two off and either go to a program where they can learn more about um, theology or you know deepen their own understanding of some topic. Um, or in his case, he decided to go to the national park there, mm-hmm. um, live and work in a small parish, and then um, spend a lot of his time in the park mm-hmm. or in the area around there, which is just extraordinary. Yeah. So when he came back, um, that was all he could talk about. Yeah. <laughs> and he kept saying to me, we should go, we should go, we should go. And so I finally said, well, then let's go. Yeah. You know, let's, let's see if we're actually going to do this or not. And, and we did that. Yeah. Um, so the first trip that I made there was last year in May. It was, um, we left actually like a few weeks before that flooding happened in May of 22. And then um, we only got to see half the park that time because it was still winter Mm -hmm. in um, like the southern half or so of the park and at at the higher altitudes. Mm -hmm. So I didn't get to see Grand Tetons. I didn't get to see the southern loop of the park. And I really regretted not being able to do that. So that's that's why we went back uh, last month and explored more of the park that I didn't get to see and then some of the surrounding areas yeah. as well. Yeah, and, you know, I can relate to that because, you know, I do – well, I associate that with even, like, I do hunting trips with my buddies, you know. And yeah. I, those of you who are watching and listening, a lot of you are hunters and stuff. You know, you go with your buddies to hunting camp and stuff. And priests, have, you know, they're, they're dudes too. And, you know, they're like, hey, man, let's, let's go – Let's go yeah. do this. I mean, they might not all be hunting. I actually have some priests that email me that hunt, but um, <laughs> but no. Yeah. But but the point is, um, they they they're dudes, you know, and they like being out in the outdoors. And you know, when you were sharing, even when you were little, 
being out there. And um, I was thinking about in the catechism, it talks about the different ways of approaching God or, sure. or experiencing God. And one is through nature. You know, it's yeah. the, obviously the highest way of encountering God is through his direct revelation, like in scripture. But, um, mm-hmm. but we can encounter God in nature, what he has created. And I think, dare I say, we all need that, you know, because that's the way we're made. I feel that way. Yeah. And so what you were talking about is even as a priest, folks, he still has that natural desire to connect Mm -hmm. with, with God through creation and what God's made. And, um, and father, we were talking a little bit about that even before we started recording. And I just want to mention this too, for those of you who think that uh, the outdoors is my church, I just want to throw this in that, yes, we can encounter God in the outdoors, but God, I want to remind you, God does call us to community, and that's part of a, a church family. So right. please don't rule that out, and let the Lord speak to you and draw you to that if, if, if he's trying to. So that I didn't want to go back to too much religious stuff. I want to stay in the outdoors, but I did want to throw that in because I think it's important. But we do and we can encounter God in the outdoors. So, Father, did in this last trip to Yellowstone— um, what what was your experience? Did you kind of get to the places you wanted to? Um, was there any highlights or, or drawbacks to the time frame that you went? Talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. You know, one of the the best one of the best things about Yellowstone is the wildlife. Mm. Um, you know, the the herds of of bison or the the pronghorn or the um, uh, what else the probably some elk out the there. The elk, yes, thank you. And so when we were there in May last year. Um, animals were everywhere. Mm-hmm. We even saw wolves. I saw nice. one bear from a distance, thankfully. Yeah. Um, and then, so this year we were hoping to, to have a repeat performance of right. that, but the animals were much more scarce. Mm. So I'm not sure if that's like a, a fall thing versus the spring, maybe mm. in the spring as, as winter is just letting up, they're all out yeah. looking for food. And yeah. if in the fall, they're just kind of fat and happy and, and yeah. hanging out in the forest. So what, what, was, what was the, was it in August? Did you go or no, what, uh, we were just there in, um, in September. 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 Okay. So yeah, yeah September. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of different dynamics with food that could relate to that. I guess they don't have any hunting pressure in the park. So it might not necessarily be right. hunting pressure, but it, not from humans. Yeah, from humans. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. But uh, but in in other environments, you yeah. definitely see a reduction of the animal movement in daylight hours because of increased hunting pressure. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, in Yellowstone, and I have no experience being there yet. We were actually supposed to go out for the first time the year of the flood, but oh, really? because of okay. the flood, we didn't go. Right. Um, so I eventually would like to get there. Uh, but so anyway, I wanted, I'm glad you shared that because those of you who are thinking of going to somewhere like Yellowstone, maybe do a little research on what are the best months to go yes. for certain things. Like if you yeah. want to see the animals, pick those months where they're the best. And yeah. you mentioned that first trip, you couldn't even get to certain areas because of snow so or right. whatever. Um, so I think, isn't that what you, did I hear you correctly? Yeah, that's right. It was, it was still winter in the yeah. park in like uh, mid-May and, and I felt like, I felt kind of dumb for not knowing that. <laughs> I was like, you know, it's you just said, like, plan ahead, right? right? We just sort of figured that everything would just be wide open right. to us, but it's just not. In fact, two days after we got back, um, just, just last month, like I said, my friend sent me a picture of one of the mountain passes we had gone through. It was covered in snow and ice. Yeah. And even again, just yesterday, sent me another picture of, of one of the areas driving yeah. towards the park. It just looks like winter. Yeah. And I'm sure that'll, that'll probably melt and then, yeah. you know, all that stuff, but... Yeah, look into it. So if I go back, and I'd love to, I think what I'd like to do is actually go and stay in the park. Yeah. Um, because wherever you are outside of the park, 
um, it takes time yeah. to get around inside the park because yeah. it's so big and yeah. there's almost always a lot of people there. Yeah. And so it's, it's a matter of like being in the right spot at the right time. And then uh, we did go out pretty early a few mornings, but really before sunrise, yeah. especially the last day we were there as we were driving on our way kind of east um, through the park and then um, mm-hmm. through Wyoming. Yeah. And even then in the morning, we weren't, we weren't seeing a whole lot of action mm-hmm. as far as wildlife. So yeah. I would, I would, I would love to go again in the spring if that's kind of the thing to do and right. then stay in the park and then get into that like Lamar Valley area mm-hmm. on that, um, kind of that Northeast sort of part of the North loop of the, uh, kind of the figure eight that makes yeah. up the park. I think that would be the way to do cool, it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's important. So uh, thank you for all of those who are listening, who have thought about going to Yellowstone. That gives us some valuable insight as far as planning it, you know, trying to pick a time of the year, you know, uh, being mindful of severe weather, you know, and it it, mm. it stays later and comes sooner than mm. other places. And then also what's the um, what's the impact on the wildlife for different months out of the year. So that's great. Father, In um, you mentioned biking, I think, and golfing. How long have you been a golfer? I took lessons in fifth grade okay. for the first time. So I've been playing a long, long time. time, my whole life. Okay, I'm cool. Still not very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually used to golf when I was a teenager, and then I, I was in a car accident and broke my collarbone, was on a, basically oh, yeah. laid flat out for a whole summer, and I never got back to it. And then um, a parish asked me to uh, be part of a fundraiser where they were doing like one of those um, shotgun start golf yeah, outings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And boy, was I terrible. I, I did it just for the for the parish, you know. Um, but man, I felt bad for my team. I was just I was just put on a team. There was teams like, of four, yeah. and I felt bad for the other guys because I wasn't really contributing too much. You were like, golfing for Jesus, yeah, that day. exactly. That was yeah, it. yeah, and they were they were doing some penance for me, uh, yeah, that's for me good. being there. But right. but anyhow, yeah. So that's cool. Um, I still have my golf clubs. I just uh, mm-hmm. I, I need to learn how to use them again. So, but. Yeah, I know there's a lot of golfers out here in Iowa. A lot of people I've run into um, are into golf. So, Um, and then there are some really good uh, biking trails even around here that um, I've been on a a few times. Have you ever done ragbri with the bike? No. um, So I well, I've done a day of ragbri. I had to do it. Like I was living in Manchester at the time, and it was going right through Manchester. I got to do this, you know, for a day, and that was that was enough for me. I'll be honest. Yeah. so Ragbri, for those who are not familiar, right. it's a it's a an annual bike ride across the state of Iowa, and um, I've never experienced anything quite like it. There's when I worked for St. Joe's as the director of adult faith formation, um, Bob, one of the parishioners, would was like, as soon as I got there, he's like, hey, come, you got to come on Ragbri with me, and I, yeah. and I maybe it's because he had, he had asked everybody else and no one else would go. I don't know, but I was like, all right, I'll go, and um, <laughs> it's a unique experience. There, there's really nothing quite like it, and. Um, I did go with him, and um, th- there's there's a lot of people who do the bike ride. So um, you got to look into it. If you're a biker, you should uh, maybe. And if you come out to Iowa to do rag ride, make sure you come and visit St. Jude at, uh, in Cedar Rapids, and maybe you'll get to worship the Lord with us at a Sunday mass. So, um, so all right, Father. Well, I want to again thank you for being part of the podcast today. And before we completely wrap up, is there any other? Um, outdoor related things you wanted to share with us or, or anything just in general that kind of came to mind that you want to share with us before we wrap up for today? Well, I can't believe I've ever, or I've gotten to the point where I'm giving advice on how to visit Yellowstone. I tell you that much, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I thank my friend for that. Um, no, there's nothing really to add, I guess, yeah. but I uh, appreciate the chance to come on and yeah. talk about confession, talk about, yeah. uh, uh, meeting God in the, in the great outdoors. And yeah. I would just say to people who go out there and, and, 
and really encounter the Lord, like, well, pray for me while you're out there. Yeah. I'll pray for you. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. You're always welcome at St. Jude's and any other Catholic church. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know what? Uh, those of you who have been away from church, let's just throw this in real quick. Um, you're always invited back. And maybe some people are like, I don't even know what to wear at church anymore because it's changed quite a bit in my lifetime. Um, you want to you want to look respectful, you know. You want to you, yeah. you're going for the Lord, but you know, people. When I was growing up, everywhere I wore like a dress shirt and tie to mass, you know, as a, when I was a little kid. And then it, you could in my lifetime you could see it change. And now people, there's a lot of people dressed fairly casually, but really, you're you're not there to judge or be judged about what you're wearing. Just as long as you go with something you, you want to present yourself to God as a part of the community and um, don't stress out about what you're going to wear. It's really the bottom line. Just go, just go. I think yeah. that's an important thing. And wherever you're at, there's a church nearby and there are times that they meet are posted and you can just go. And if you are, if you happen to be a Catholic and you've been away, it's important to get to confession and, and get, you're, we call it get your soul cleaned up before you get back there. So contact the local pastor. And if you're here in Cedar Rapids, come see Father Nick. Um, you'll be going to the same guy that I go to confession to. And um, if that doesn't work out, there's other parishes in town. Yeah. Immaculate Conception, they have, uh, during the week, they have confession before Mass. So you can go to, like, uh, get there before weekday Mass if it fits your schedule. Whatever it is, get yourself back to God. Get yourself to the community. And this is where you're going to find joy. When you connect with the way God intended, and um, it makes a difference. And uh, I, I, I know people who said they, didn't, they weren't getting anything out of Mass, so they stopped going. They go to a different church now. And when I listen to them, it's a lot related to, well, they never actually put anything into it, Father. They didn't mm. make an effort. They just were passively sitting there as if something was going to happen. And that's not how Mass works. It's You have to put a full conscious effort in and that's when you really experience God. You listen with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength to the prayers and to the readings and the homily, and you can hear God speaking to you through that. So anyhow, uh, go ahead, Father. You have, did you have something you were going to say? I was oh. just going to say, too, just to kind of piggyback onto that. Like, you know, when I look out at the assembly at, at Sunday Mass, um, I really am genuinely happy to see people there, and I'm not really thinking about what what are they wearing or do right. they look like they know what they're doing or something right. like that. It almost kind of uh, warms my heart to see people who um, they kind of they walk in and they kind of look a little bit tentative about, you know, like, what do mm -hmm. I do next? And I'm yeah. thinking like, that's so great that they're there. Yeah. Or, you know, someone that comes into the confessional and says, it has been 20 years yeah. and I have no idea what I'm even doing here. Yeah. And I promise you, even though priests are all so different from each other, the one thing that they really genuinely want to do is help people in situations yeah. like that to like yeah. make a good confession after yeah. 20 years. Yeah. And it's just a, it's just a great day to be a priest when you can help somebody do that. So yeah, yeah, to anyone listening or watching this, that's doesn't feel ready to do that or doesn't feel like they know what to do. Um, you know, try not to let that keep you from, yeah. from, ta from taking a first step yeah. you know, at least take a step and see yeah. what God can do with that. Yeah. And, and it will make a difference. I actually had a mm -hmm. parishioner, uh, the other church where I worked at come up to me and, and said he hadn't gone to confession in like 20 years or so. No. Something I had said had sparked it in him, and he went and he said, best thing I ever did. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to be going on a regular basis now. Yeah. He's like, it was a life changer. And here, this guy was a Catholic his whole life. He just stopped going. I happened to say something, and the Holy Spirit worked on that. So, hey, if you're out there watching or listening, the Holy Spirit's kind of prodding you a little bit, li listen and respond to that because you will feel set free 
You, you, you actually don't even know how much you're suppressed and repressed by sin until you feel it lifted off of you. Yeah. You know, so awesome. again, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you, Father, for being part of it. Yeah. Hey, and maybe um, someday if you guys have questions and we feel like we need to have Father Nick back, maybe he'll even come back and, and address some of those questions. But um, until then, until next time, thank you for being here and take care and God bless you. Thank you.